Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, ciao, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, namaste, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories Podcast 2023. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. This year, we are talking to exporters from all over the 50 states and U.S. territories. Today's guests are leaders of an innovative and fascinating Iowa company, Transagra. Transagra is a manufacturer of natural health solutions for animals, plants, and forage production. We're going to learn what that means and hear their stories of export successes. But first, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, the North Carolina District Export Council. My name is Bill Harrison, and I'm the chair of the North Carolina District Export Council. It gives me great pleasure to sponsor the Export Stories podcast. The North Carolina District Export Council is one of more than 60 district export councils throughout the United States. The North Carolina District Export Council is composed of approximately 30 members who are appointed by the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. The members are leaders and experts in the field of international trade. The North Carolina District Export Council contributes its leadership and international trade expertise to complement the U.S. Commercial Services export promotion efforts by counseling businesses on the exporting process and conducting international trade education. The North Carolina District Export Council's primary activities are to advocate for North Carolina exporters, organize B2B trade missions for North Carolina companies, mentor North Carolina businesses new to international trade, and to educate through export university programs and seminars. A major innovative initiative of the North Carolina District Export Council is its Building Trade DNA initiative. The purpose is to educate students from our youngest learners to high school students and beyond on how exporting and international trade works. It is tailored to the learning level of each class to make it fun and interactive. This initiative has been adopted by the National Association of District Export Councils and other district export councils throughout the U.S. Thank you for joining us for this Export Stories podcast with our host, Betsy Olam. I am very excited to introduce Lisa Sakai, President and CEO, and Dr. Becky Quesnell, COO for Transagra. Let me tell you a little bit about them first. Lisa has been CEO and President since 2012. Prior to joining Transagra, she worked at both Citibank and Bank of America. She has a BA from Lake Forest College and an MBA from DePaul. She has served on the board of several community-based organizations, been on the advisory council for the Illinois State Controller and Chicago Council on Human Relations, and is active in the Asian American community. She joins us from Chicago. Dr. Becky Quesnell has been working at Transagra International since 2017 as a research and development director and is currently CEO for the, COO for the company. 
Prior to joining Transagra, she worked for many years at Pfizer Animal Health and Zoetis in the animal disease, antibacterials, and immunomodulation discovery unit. How about that? <laughs> she has served on the Milk Quality Committee and Research Committee for the National Mastitis Council and was certified by the Clinical and Laboratory Standards Institute. She is currently a national board member with the American Feed Ingredient Association. She joins us from their headquarters in Storm Lake, Iowa. Well, I'm impressed. I'm also impressed that I could get that out. That was a mouthful. <laughs> Hello, Lisa and Becky. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Betsy. Hey. So, Lisa, let's start with you. Can you share with us? The, you know, the Transagra story, the history of the company and your experience with it. Uh, well, that's a tall order. Um, with <laughs> regards to the uh, history of the company um, and, and what we make, uh, the company was started by uh, who we finally refer to as our mad scientist back in the early 60s. And uh, he was from the Stormic area and he developed this product, sold it to another uh, company that was also from the Storm Lake area. And they eventually sold it to a very large company uh, uh, that was a, a oil and gas transportation company. Um, and they owned it for several, several years until my family got involved. And um, this is a family business, we're very small. My father was introduced to the product in the mid seventies and uh, he liked the product so much that he decided to try and become a distributor. Mm -hmm. um, the difference was at the time we were actually living in Japan. And so he became their Asian distributor. And it was the first time Colvac, which is our brand name, was exported outside of the United States. He, 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 we were our own first exporting company, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he, uh, uh, so believed in the product that in the mid 80s, he came back and bought the manufacturing plant, uh, which is still based in Storm Lake, Iowa. Um, we sell all over the United States and internationally, and every single product we make is manufactured and distributed out of our plant in Storm Lake. Wow. Uh, well, that's wonderful. And so when, when did you join the company and when did you become the head of the company? Uh, I was uh, actually a banker in a previous lifetime. Right. And uh, that was in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, they went through a lot of restructuring in the late 80s and early 90s. People remember that time. I and I was, <laughs> I was uh, looking to do something different. And my father, who was head on the company at the time, says, why don't you come work for me? And, you know, it doesn't have to be forever, but see if you like it. Uh, that was 30 years ago. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Ago. Um, yeah. And he, he finally, he, he passed away in 2012. And that's when I officially took over the company. I gotcha. I gotcha. Cool. Well, um, Becky, we're going to turn to you for a minute here. And uh, can you kind of give us a broad explanation of what your products do? And then maybe something about what your responsibilities are with the company? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I feel very lucky to be a part of this company. Lisa has has been such a great leader for us, and 
um, the products are what brought me to the company. They mm -hmm. are uh, all natural mm -hmm. and they are broad based. So um, we have a different product line for animals, one mm -hmm. for forage, which is like hay and silage, mm -hmm. and then one for plants. And our, uh, our animal products actually work on the microbiome. So they work on, and, and people know what that means now. They work to um, sort of like a probiotic or a promotional biotic. They, oh, they grow nice. all of the good bacteria in the gut. And, um, and actually, you know, work as, as that nice, uh, probiotic balance that you hear all over the television now and all over your commercials, right. they've been working on these things for animals for 63 years. And <laughs> so this company really knows what they're doing when it comes to, to these, um, particular mechanisms. We also add in prebiotics. We add in vitamins and minerals and all of the things that are necessary um, for the animal's health as mm -hmm. well. And then, uh, and, and we have some extra goodies in there so that in an all natural way, you can get a complete package for the health of the animal. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've now tested it, uh, our products against some other products, um, on the market and in fact against antibacterials and other probiotics and they they just do a wonderful job so we're we're very proud of those um sure. our hay and silage products mm -hmm. uh the hay is a preservative product to keep the hay healthy and nutritious um for a longer period of time to feed to animals the silage products are really uh, designed to help ferment that silage so that it's ready for the animals to eat. And then our plant products are absolutely amazing. We have soil amendments that bring the soil back to life. Um, again, going back to that microbiome concept, your soil has to have life in it and to, to be effective and oh, to use okay. even the fertilizers we put on. Right. And so um, so when you bring all of those good bacteria back into the soil, then you can use the fertilizers that you're putting on and, it, and you can use less of those fertilizers because they're getting used efficiently to go to the plant. So it's been a fabulous, uh, it's a fabulous line across the board, all dealing with, with the bacteria. I have a couple of <clears throat> questions. So first of all, if it's in the soil, uh, does it have to be replenished or does it stay a long time? Uh, these products, um, how does that, how does that work? So very simply, every time you add our product to the soil and we suggest maybe once or twice a year, once in the fall, maybe as you're, um, trying to get all of that organic matter back into the fields, or, and once in the spring, as you're getting ready to plant, um, what it does is, is it just builds up all of the good bacteria that are in that soil. It sort of feeds them. And so you can use it, um, you know, once a year, twice a year, and really see a difference in that soil. And so it does, it, it, it um, now it, it's not a one-time use because every time your soil gets turned over, you're going to, um, want to replenish that or to to build it up again, but over the years you'll see a additive 
um, um, building of, of the, the, the uh, yeah. good things in the soil. Oh, okay. And you'll see that the rain doesn't just sit on top of the soil, the rain actually comes down into the soil and is held, that moisture is held in the soil mm -hmm. better so that you have more drought control. So those are, that's some of the things that we do. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you'll, here's, here's a dumb question from someone who doesn't really know the chemistry here. If a, if a cow has been given your products, uh, the probiotic products, and he eats the hay that has your product in it. Is he getting a double dose of the products? Two, it's two different things, right? I know that sounds dumb. But I was just curious. A good, good question, and we get that question a lot, actually. And um, it's not truly a double dose. It's okay. just that the cow's going to get so much more nutrition out of that hay because okay. you've held all of the good protein. Um, in the leaf and all of those good things in the hay, and then they're going to eat it. So think of having a very healthy diet instead of maybe, um, oh, Fritos. sugar cereal in the morning, right? Some, something something that they um, wouldn't be able to digest. So, so something good for them. And then when you have their microbiome all adjusted, they can use all of those nutrients so much more effectively. So they're going to get double the health benefits yeah. if you use both. Um, but it's it, they're different mechanisms of action. So okay. I think cows are a bunch healthier than I am. These times, <laughs> the way you describe it, that that's great. And well, if I might interject, and Becky can stop me if I'm if I'm wrong here. Um, one of the things that we really um, uh, are very proud about and, and like to promote is the sustainability of our product and, this, and the importance of sustainability in agriculture right now. And with our product, you're not introducing anything foreign or new. It's an all natural product. Yeah. Um, and all we're doing is benefiting bacteria that are already within any system, whether it's an animal's gut or whether it's a soil. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've been asked by um, uh, different government regu regulators, like, well, so if we did a, 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 an autopsy on a cow, you know, what would, what, what would we see as residual effects? I'm like, you, there, there are no residual effects. It's, a, it's an all natural product. You're not, you can't test the soil and find our product. So okay, so. okay. Right. And, um, it's it's just making every, everything we apply it to is just making it healthier and better and more digestible or that, that kind of thing. That is so funny. That is exactly the question I was going to ask next. So I think I think you've explained that really well. I mean, I don't know if there's any more to add, but what does it mean to the 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 final consumer of ag products? Is there anything more that you know, the final consumer needs to understand about, you know, the fact that it's sustainable and natural and organic. Well, I think that if, uh, there, I think there's a definite growing movement among consumers about eating healthier and um, not to promote uh, uh, any particular brand of meat or something, but there's a company that says you are what you eat, eats. And that, <laughs> yeah. right? And that is 
that is especially true now more than ever. So I think at any point that you can have any input that is uh, an all natural sustainable product, it just yeah. helps our entire food chain. Do Is there a way for consumers to know who uses your product? So if they want to buy that kind of, that meat that has that in it, is that possible or is that really not possible? Uh, I wish. I would love us to get to the point where, yes, that was true, you, where they were stamped uh, callback fed cows on every, on every stick that went out there. Uh, we're not there yet. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm rooting for that because it, 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 I think that would be useful to the end consumer. But anyway, so and uh, either of you who wants to uh, approach this question, I would love for y'all to share some examples of the day-to-day -day export challenges that your business faces, you know, regulations and that sort of thing that presents certain barriers to exporting? Oh, that is definitely Becky's question. <laughs> okay. that, poor, right, that poor woman has to deal with all Becky, the documentation. over to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, this, this is almost a, a, a full-time job in and of itself, uh, getting prepared for exports and, and actually exporting to different and new countries. So currently we have presence in um, Asia, we're in Japan, Taiwan, Korea. Um, we have a, a, a presence in Central America. In fact, a, a very great um, presence at the moment. We're in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And we're just now opening up Costa Rica and Nicaragua. Uh, we're opening up markets in Brazil uh, and then in the Middle East. We sell quite a bit because their soils are very challenged okay. and need support and uh, as are their animals um, because they walk them across the desert to market. So uh, we are in Sudan and Egypt, um, just opened up Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. Um, we've, we've been with Yemen for a little while now and um, Qatar and, and uh, UAE. So yeah. those are the, the big ones. Um, we're also in Turkey, um, yeah. where there are a lot of challenges at the moment for, for many reasons. But, uh, well, uh, well um, you know, without getting into too specific, what kind of challenge, like, let's take Turkey for an example, because I like people to understand that you have to work, you know, sometimes you have to work hard on the, to get into certain markets. Just, can you give some examples about Turkey? Sure. Uh, some of the challenges there. Sure, absolutely. We approached Turkey and Egypt at the same time. It took about three years to get the product registered. And part of that is because our products are different than any other products in the market. So mm -hmm. we don't truly, we, you know, we don't, we don't fall under their live bacteria, um, probiotic and uh, we're not as simple as a prebiotic. So since we have so many components, mm -hmm. uh, it, it often takes a very long um, educational time yeah. to get through a ministry of agriculture in a foreign country. And so uh, it's oftentimes visiting with the ministries of agriculture or animals and fisheries or whatever industry yeah. um, in these countries, uh, which we did <laughs> with Turkey. 
excuse me for interrupting. Do you need like local legal representation to help you with some of those things or not necessarily? We have not used necessarily legal representation. Uh, we usually work with our distributors there. Right. So we know we have a good distributor um, and they'll, they'll usually help us to do the translation and, right. and the discussions and everything within the country, which is wonderful. Right. Uh, one of the challenges with Turkey is they are the only country that requires a USDA certification for uh, renewed yearly <laughs> for uh, a manufacturing plant. Uh, most places require FDA um, facility cer certification. And so we have that across the board. Uh, but every year I, I renew our USDA for, uh, for Turkey. Oh, so each country has different right. regulations and a different process, right. and it often takes many, many years to get through that. Right. And as you said, uh, having local representation that knows the local customs, that knows right. the and, the, and the, the market is so important for most exporters, having local representation is is pretty much the way to go, the way I see it. I mean, there are uh, there are some examples where going direct to consumer works for a particular product, but like for a co complex product like yours, you know, you need, you need local representation. Absolutely. And, and it's wonderful to have that local representation because when we go into a country, we also many times have to do experiments within that country or um, proof of efficacy of the product in yeah. some way. Yeah. So an example of that is in Sudan. We, um, they gave us some hectares of wheat fields and uh, we actually applied the product to par parts of it and, and not to others. Um, and we were able to increase their wheat yield in those hectares by five bags and I th these bags are as tall as I am yeah. <laughs> when I say bags of wheat yeah um, and so we were able to really change uh the the productivity for that area and um, so getting you know having a local that was able to connect us with the right people yeah. as to where to do these studies um is is always helpful and uh, and and also in Sudan we had the this fantastic um, opportunity. They, they were unfortunately having difficulty exporting themselves, uh, their sheep to other countries because yeah. they had to be at a certain immunity level when they reached, um, yeah, in this case, be, Saudi Arabia. And sure. so, um, you know, transporting them across the, the Red Sea, um, and and all the stresses involved in that, um, walking them across the the deserts to get to uh, the market or get to the the ports, all of those things were were really challenging their immune systems. And so, uh, we did an experiment where they got our Colback animal product for two weeks before they loaded them on the boats to go across uh, for export, and we were able so. So if they don't meet the standard, they get turned back. They, okay. the, the, the whole shipment of animals comes back across and all that money's lost. Wow. Um, they were all about 40% immunity or that was the target. And they were getting 
probably eight out of 10 loads turned back. When, once they started our product for two weeks before they shipped, all of a sudden they were able to ship all of their loads and they haven't had a load turned back since they've been using the product. So that must have really made exciting. you feel good. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. those, those are those kind of accomplishments. It's like, yeah, you know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. That's a great story. Um, all right, so this is a question. Both, either or both of you might want to approach this. This is a question I don't think I ask enough. But how do you think that American products stay competitive? Like speaking from your own experience, what is it about, you know, our products that that your products that stay competitive? globally I'm talking about I think um, uh, one of the one of the main things is we have a reputation for quality yes and I think that across the board on almost every market segment American products are viewed favorably mm -hmm. um, overseas yes. uh, even over many local products um, yeah. where we run into competitive issues is probably on price. One, our labor costs are much higher than two, you have to actually get it to the other to the side of the market. But in a lot for a lot of people, they're willing to pay that price because they know they're going to get a product that uh, is good, is not going to fail on them or has been tested and has gone through fairly rigorous um, right. um, quality um, concerns. Exactly. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. And just an example of that is in Egypt. Um, I was so surprised when our Egyptian uh, label designer came back with this huge American flag splashed across the label. And I said, is that that's not going to turn people away from buying the product? And he said, no, no, no. Everybody knows America makes the best product. So we want to have we want to let people know where this product came from and that it's worth the the extra value and we pay ridiculous tariffs to get the product in the country yeah. uh, in Egypt but they will pay the money because it's a it's an american quality product well there you go that's that really does say a lot um yeah so i appreciate i appreciate y'all's uh input on that um, Lisa, as head of a woman-run business, do you have any advice for women who own or run companies that are new to exporting? Uh, I would say absolutely build a network of support. Mm -hmm. um, either you can, there's lots of other, you know, women, women-owned business groups kind of thing, right. but um and this isn't necessarily true just for women, but I think anyone who's new to exporting would benefit from taking advantage of um, your local exporting district councils, um, the U.S. Department of Commerce, um, in our case, the Iowa Department of Economic Development. Um, all these, all those resources, and a lot of them are available for free, which is great if you're a small business, yeah. um, are excellent resources to find out, you know, even simple instructions like um, how to fill out a shipper's letter of instructions, which right. you need to do for the documentation, right. or you know what does it mean when I need a certificate of origin or a certificate of free trade, 
Um, those are all great. They're also really fabulous, uh, depending on what the group is, in terms of vetting um, potential distributors in the local markets. Um, right. We've had people approach us and, you know, I, I, I don't know, it's not like you can do a credit check on somebody who's in a foreign country, exactly. but a lot of the times the uh, uh, foreign trade service in that local country is, can, can vet them for you. They can provide translation work for you. Um, so I would absolutely say uh, do, exporting is not something you can, you should try and do on your own, right? you know, kind of by the fly of your pants. There's, there's too many, there's too many variables that you actually have to know and there's documentation and, and all the rest that it really helps to have someone who can walk you through that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> so with like, your story, we're, we're, we're kind of highlighting Iowa as an exporting state. You mentioned, uh, what, what was the organization, the Iowa Iowa Trade Association or something like that? I mean, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, because each state is a little bit different in how they support exporters. Do they uh, uh, support you at trade shows? Do they go out to, do they have representatives from Iowa and different markets that, you know, I mean, tell me a little bit about Iowa as a, as a, a state that supports their exporters. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, well, Becky can probably talk to you best because she's worked with these various uh, 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 groups probably the most, just trying to get the documentation and learning what's necessary for each country. Yeah, yeah okay. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about Iowa specific you know, exporting support and services, that kind of thing. So the Iowa Economic Development um, Corporation, IEDA, or Association, IEDA, has been a huge help to us. Uh, they have several things that they help out with. They have grants to help with international meetings, um, international trade shows, and things like that. So they'll help you get your displays set up or... Um, um, help you with some of the funding oftentimes to go to the shows. They also have grants to help with uh, changing your labels and buying the fonts. Um, for example, you have to buy all the Arabic fonts right. to put those on your labels. Uh, they will help with those types of things to really get you started in That's a new area, in a new um, um so those are those again are grants you have to apply for mm -hmm. uh, they have a great program for that they also have um support for uh for example if i'm exploring a new country mm -hmm. uh to go into they have support for what does that registration process look like yeah. and they'll send me a packet that says that tells me what i need to do in that particular environment they do have representatives around the world, actually, um, to help in especially those large target markets. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other uh, group that has been so incredibly helpful is um, the U.S. Department of uh, Commercial Services. Or, um, yeah. yeah. And, and we have a representative here in Iowa. Actually, I think we have two representatives here in Iowa. Yeah. Um, one of those was our mentor in an export tech program that we went to um, yeah. through Iowa State University. It was an all, 
six-week learning event about how to set up an export plan. And, uh, and, and our mentor there was, was with uh, the US Commercial Services and he has been just um, a super proponent for us around the, the globe. And, and uh, he's here in Iowa and, and really helps to focus uh, our export plans. Um, what's the next step? He keeps asking me. So oh, we are, he's, he's pushing us forward and I love that. And, and we're very excited to be working with him. So, oh, that's great. That's great. And uh, the USDA, um, do they have like export people that, you know, really help focus on like the issues you <clears throat> mentioned with Turkey or, you know, or other markets? They do. In fact, they have uh, offices in every country that that uh, that we've been to. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, just recently, as getting into Costa Rica, we've dealt with the USDA people there because they do require in-country testing uh, for efficacy for your product. And you have to prove that your product works on their soil or on animals within Costa Rica. And so the USDA services there um, office has been very, very, very helpful to us. I didn't, I did not realize they had that many <clears throat> global offices, but then I guess, and maybe this is a part of their mission, but you want to be sure that they're there making sure you're getting fair mm. assessment, you right. know, uh, from that government's organization, yes. I guess maybe they do. You think they help with that as well? I, I think they do. Uh, if, if ever we've had a challenge, um, there are so many different components within the both Iowa State and U.S. government that have helped us. Uh, we've been, been very lucky to, to have those things. Oh, good. That was really think, good to know. I think also um, almost everywhere, almost, I'm not positive how the our U.S. government works, but most places that we have a foreign consulate, yeah. Uh, in that country will mm -hmm. have some sort of commercial or trade services association. Right. Right. Um, I, I don't know whether they're actually tied with the U.S. Department of Commerce, if, they, if they're part of the consulate services or not. But Yeah, I think my, um, a lot of consulates have a commercial service representative. The commercial mm -hmm. service foreign offices, sometimes they're in the... Um, uh, embassies or the consulate. I mean, it it kind of probably depends on the city if it's like a capital city or something or where most of the commercial business is or whatever. But yeah, so uh, exactly. Well, um, at this part of the podcast, I just want to ask y'all if y'all have any more stories uh, that you mind, wouldn't mind sharing with us. Uh, we love storytelling here. So, <laughs> well, I I do have just um probably a couple, I guess. Um, one as as we've moved into new countries, um, translation and understanding your message and getting your message across right. is a challenge anytime you export. Sure. Um, and so we have had times when the message was um, not quite what we expected. 
because we didn't have the right translations. Oh, and my. so, um, and, and I'll, there's just a couple of, of times uh, that we experienced this. We sent out some booklets in Japan where we were sharing studies, you know, little, little uh, blurbs of studies that we had done. Uh-huh. And I was giving, um, doing conferences up and down the islands. And all of, I, I went to the very first one and, you know, gave my presentation and afterwards there were questions. And then when everything was, was done, I thought there was a line almost around the room of people who wanted to ask a question and they all had these booklets in their hands and most of them were turned to the same pages and they kept saying, what did you mean by this? And what did you mean by this? And my translator, uh, who is not the person who translated the books, okay. <laughs> by the way, he read it and he read it to me and uh, the translation was incorrect. We th- oh, no. we were talking about milking cows, you know, old cows in milk uh, <laughs> who had been milking for 90 days. And yeah. for some reason, the translation translator thought we were feeding calves milk at, you know, these time timing. Oh, and, no. Oh, no. oh my goodness. So... <laughs> It almost became another whole part of the conference just to talk to them about that's not what what this yeah. was study was and, right. and um, let, let me explain what we really meant. Okay. So sometimes that can be challenging. Especially for technical information. It's sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to uh, relate in a different culture or something. Okay, that's yeah. a really good story. Good. Good. Well, and I, I was just recently in Sudan and we uh, gave a great, uh, we had this wonderful day with the Minister of, Ag- of uh, Animals and Fisheries who showed up at, at the events and, you know, at the end of the day with the Minister of Agriculture and uh, was giving talks and had some great questions at the end of the talks. Um, and as you can tell, I, I talk with my hands. Um, I, I, I've t- I very much um, uh, use right. expressions in my face and I talk with my our, hands. Our listeners can't tell. They can't tell that, that, but I, I, I yes, do. My hands have been waving the entire time I've been talking here. <laughs> so Expressive, very expressive. Right, I'm very expressive. So so when I uh, was giving the talks, I uh, they, they were taking pictures and I didn't even think of it. But the next day splashed across the front page of the paper was this picture of, of me with my hands up and a wonky look on my face. I <laughs> they couldn't have picked a worse moment, right, to show. And then they said, um, Dr. Quesnel recommends you use as many antibiotics as you can in your animal agriculture. And I thought, that is the opposite of what I said. I said, if you use our products, you don't have to use those antibiotics. Or if, you know, if you're using the antibiotics, you have to use our product because of the way it works with an antibiotic. Anyway, so the message was absolutely the opposite. Oh, and our, oh, our distributor there was so wonderful. He he wrote a, uh, an article back about it. And then the next day they had this huge press conference, which okay. he didn't tell me about until I was in front of the cameras. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize what was going on until oh, all, the, all the TV press was there, Al Jazeera TV and all of that. 
um, but just to combat the message, the messaging that was wrong. So right. that's that's a big misunderstanding. Oh, it was so yeah. just completely the opposite yeah. of what <laughs> it happens. It happens, and y'all regrouped and you covered it, and that's that's great. We did. That's great. Well, um, is there anything else, uh, Lisa, you want to add before we kind of wrap this wonderful discussion we've had today? Um, I, I would, I don't have any one specific story regarding exporting. However, mm -hmm. I would say to anyone who's trying to get into exporting, mm -hmm. um, first of all, it's, it's a fabulous way to diversify and expand your, your market. But right. It is absolutely critical, unless you have boots on the ground, that you partner up with the right person to distribute your product. Right. Um, without that, nothing else is going to happen. It doesn't matter whether you learn how to do the documentation or whatever, because nothing's going to move forward. And and it's hard for small companies to do that. It's not like they can fly over to all these foreign countries, which you know the airfare is astronomical, or and right. spend time searching for a distributor. We have been very, very lucky um, with our international trade shows that are put on here in the United States. Yes. States. Yeah. And um, I would highly recommend if, if your industry has uh, trade shows like that, that you go and attend and be prepared to have literature that's in whatever country it is, whatever yeah. the language that is. Um, um, or if your state is offering trade missions, to, yep. to, to go on those to try and try and find a distributor but I in my mind it is absolutely key that you have the right partner I couldn't agree more that is a perfect message to uh, to, to let people know uh, I enjoyed this discussion so much thank you Lisa and Becky for being our guests today um, I learned a lot I, and I know our listeners will too so Thank you so much for being here. It was it was fun. It was fun talking to you. To our listeners, you should weigh in. If you have some questions or just want to share your thoughts about our uh, podcast today, please reach out to me at exportstoriespodcast.com. I'm happy to share your comments there. And we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. This is a community of exporters. Let's talk. So anyway, thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you for the That's opportunity. Fun. We loved having you. Well, we'll be back soon with another episode. That thanks to all our listeners. Bye-bye. By the way, I, I want to give y'all a quick update. Since this podcast was recorded, fighting broke out between rival military factions in Sudan. Despite the civil unrest, last week Transagra's distributor in Sudan was able to get a message out that he and his family were safe. So we want to share that with you. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 